0: Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach Ditton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. I don't know about you, but I believe that with everything that I am. Do you believe that this morning? And I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you more. We're going to try for just a few minutes to talk about what he did for us, and we're going to get to that exciting part again about him being alive, but I want you to know when you leave this place that Jesus loves you, and that this is a personal relationship this morning, and you know, when we think about the tomb, and we think about Resurrection Sunday, which this day is, and we celebrate this, if you're a true believer, you don't celebrate Easter on Easter. Every day is Resurrection Sunday for a believer that believes in Jesus Christ, amen? It's the day we come in and celebrate it, but every day, he's alive. It's not something we check off on the box, and we want you to know this morning that if you're here for the very first time, you've never come to this church, we want you to feel welcome. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to stand. We're not going to, want you to know that you're welcome here. Let's let them know, church, that we're glad that they're here this morning with us on this Resurrection Sunday. I know there's new faces. I know there's people that were invited. I ran into a lady after the first service. We have a photo booth over there. We're taking some pictures. Feel free to do that after the service. And uh, it was just a young lady, maybe in her mid-20s with a little girl. And I said, how did you find out about our church? And she said, I was at the Civic Center yesterday and somebody invited me to come. And she said, I loved it. It was so awesome. And I'm going to come to that thing at 2.30 today. Amen. People are looking for hope. Amen. People are looking for life. They're looking for something more than a religion, a relationship. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus went through before he got to that grave. Because we don't have an empty grave if we don't have the cross. And so these three days that started on Good Friday and said on the third day he resurrected. But I want to talk a little bit about what the coroner would say and had said of a of what Jesus suffered, because I want us to understand a little bit what he did for us and how personal it was. A lot of times we, we say the cross and we say Jesus died and we talk about the resurrection, but we don't really think about what Jesus really went through. And maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it lately, and I, I believe it needs to be a constant reminder in our lives of what Jesus is doing in our life and what he did for us personally. I want, to, I want you to tell that person next to you, he's going to talk to you personally this morning. Amen? This is personal. I, I, want, you to, I want you to feel like you're the only person in the room, because that's how Jesus loves you. There might be someone on your side, but he's talking to you today. And it started in the garden when he was in that garden of Gethsemane. And he knew that he was on this earth for a purpose. And he knew what was coming. He knew what the cross meant. He knew the suffering that I'm going to tell you a little bit about. And one of the most amazing things about the story of Jesus is it changed time. It changed history. We're in the year 2023 after death. There's no one ever in the history of the world that changed time like Jesus did. He came and time stood still. And then they changed the Gregorian calendar for us to be in the year of our Lord, 2023. But when he was in that garden and he was praying, the Bible says that he was praying so fervently and was so perplexed and so hurt and so suffering of what was to come that the Bible says he sweat blood. Now here's an interesting thing about that. Doctors would try to say that there's no way that somebody could sweat blood. They'll try to refute that. They'll try to say it's not physically possible. But let me tell you something this morning. There's only been one Jesus to ever walk the face of the earth, and he sweat blood because there's only been one person that's ever gone to the cross and carried humanity's sin on his back. And so he's the only one that's ever sweat blood, and that's why they can't physically prove that he sweat blood. Does anybody believe that this morning? He did it because there's never been a, ne- a Jesus, and there'll never be another one. And in that garden as he's praying, they, they come and grab him. He's betrayed by his, one of his closest friends. He goes to stand before the Sanhedrin. And this is where he begins the beginning of physical conflict, physical beatings. As he's standing there, a soldier strikes him against the face for remaining silent. And he did that for me and you. Then the palace guards blindfolded him and mocked him and taunted him. As they swung with, with men, Roman soldier blows to his head. They said, prophesy and tell us who's hitting you. Then they said in the next morning, get up early as he was battered and bruised, dehydrated already, exhausted from now, two sleepless nights, and he goes to what becomes probably the worst part of the physical pain of what he's going to suffer for us, which is the scourging. Something very interesting about the scourging, beyond its horrible physical battle of what it is, and I can't even put it in words. And I'm actually not going to read exactly what the coroner said because it's too gruesome. But I'm going to read a little bit. But on that scourging, they said there's a cat of nine tails. Many of you have heard this. And and on the end of that whip was metal and nails and shards of bones. Nine different pieces. And when they took him in there to scourge him, this is an interesting thought that a lot of people have never thought about. They did not know at the moment that they gave him the scourging that they were going to crucify him. God knew. But Pontius Pilate had not made the decision yet. It was not a fact yet that he was going to be crucified. It's most likely, church, that when they scourged him, they were going to kill him on that, on that pole. They did not know he was going to make it to the cross. So he took a physical beating on that scourging that wasn't even taking into consideration the cross for you to think about that. And we know that there's a law in the Jewish law that says that a man cannot be struck more than 40 times, more than 39 times. Had to be 40 or less. You've probably heard that before. It's not possible that the Jew, the sorry that the Roman soldiers would look at a Jewish law and say, "Let's stick by the law." They they lashed him so many times. We don't even have a number that there was nothing left but a, but a shredded body. And every time they would pull that whip off his back, every time they would pull back, these were big Roman soldiers. You think of the the 300, the the movie. You think of those big men. They had this man, his arms are tied up above his head, stripped naked for you. And they put that whip on his back. And every time they pulled back, they pulled muscle and flesh off of his back. So, and not only on his back, his behind, his legs, his entire backside was covered with lashes. Then after they do that, and the, and the heavy whip has been coming down all over his body, they let him loose as he faints to the ground, unable to stand under his own power, full of the blood from his body. And that's not enough. They thought he was going to die. Because, remember, 39 lashes would kill, could kill somebody. We have countless amount of numbers that they lashed him. They expected him to die there. He does not die as we know. And so they begin to make fun of him and they grab a robe, a Roman robe, and put it around him and put it on his naked, destroyed, bloody back. And they begin to give him a rod and say, you're the king. And they make him a crown of thorns. And they stick those crowns into his head and push down. Has anybody ever had a really bad migraine? Has anybody ever lacerated your head and seen how much blood comes out of your head? It's one of the the places where blood flows the most is in the head. And so as they're making fun of him, they then take that rod that they, that they gave him and said king of the Jews and struck him on top of the head to push those crowns down further, those thorns further into his head. Thinking he was dead, he is now bleeding from his, scu- from his head to his toes. And after all of this, they put him outside, they get the word now that he's to be crucified. So they take the wood and they stick it across his back. They said that piece of wood that held his arms was probably 125 pounds. And they begin to walk him between two thieves to execute him as he walks down what's called the Via Dolorosa, which is the the way of pain. In spite of efforts to walk erectly as he would have wanted to, the weight of the heavy wooden beam shocks him, and because of so much blood loss, he falls and cannot walk anymore. The rough wood of the beam is gouging into his lacerated skin, his muscles, and his shoulders. As he tries to rise, his human muscles have been pushed beyond their possible endurance. And a centurion says to a North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, carry his cross. Jesus begins now to follow, walking, still bleeding to death, sweating from the cold, clammy sweat of shock. And listen to this, walks 650 yards to his, the place they're going to crucify him. Almost seven football fields. I want you to think about all these things that I'm talking about. Sometimes we hear these things and we, we, we just hear a little detail, but we don't think about putting ourselves in that position. It's not even physically possible for us to imagine what Jesus went through. Then they get him to the cross. They They take that that nail, and they find inside, and I want you to take with your left hand, if you would, these two fingers, and I want you to put between the wrist, right there in that soft part of your wrist, and I want you to push as hard as you can. There's a spot there that's really, as you push really hard, you're going to feel a little bit of pain. That is where they put the nail, because it's not very likely that in, in the depictions that we have that they would have put it through his hand because the bones in this hand would not be able to hold the person up, but these two major, major, major bones would. Not only would it be the pain of holding his body up, but the pain of it rupturing the main artery in both of his wrists for more bleeding. Then they took the nails, and they put his left foot over his right foot, and they nailed a nail into his feet. Now he is in pushed up on the cross where they write, King of the Jews. He is now crucified officially. I was talking about this to the men on Friday in Discipleship Church. We have to understand the demented mind of the Romans at that time. It's it's not just some afterthought that they said, let's just put a man up on a cross and nail his hands and his feet. We're talking about people who sat and thought, what is the most painful, most horrible, most ridiculous way someone can die? How can we make them suffer the absolute most death? is how they crucified. And so he's put on this cross, he's picked up, slammed down into the ground, and that begins six hours of being on that cross. As he's there, his body begins to sag down. Now everything I'm reading you is from a corner. And the weight of his body is pushing on the nails and his wrist excruciating pain is shooting through his fingers and up into his arms, exploding in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he pushes full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet. At this point... His arms are fatigued. Cramping is setting in in his body. His muscles are knotting up. There's relentless, throbbing pain, not just in a finger, not just in a toe, not just in an arm, but all throughout his body. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. I want everyone in here to take a deep breath and then just hold it till the service is over. Can't do it, right? Imagine taking in that deep breath and then having to take in another one and then having to take in another one and never having a, a real good chance to exhale. That's what Jesus was going through. Jesus fights to raise himself up in order to get one short breath And finally, carbon dioxide builds up in his lungs and in the bloodstream as cramping continues. He's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in enough life-giving oxygen. How many are still with me? To say seven statements. Not only did he do everything I just said, he spoke. Has anybody ever been in a lot of pain and you don't even want to be around anybody? You don't want to talk to nobody? You don't want to move. He speaks. And he says these words. The first one of his sentences was, he looks down at these people, and I want you to put yourself in the crowd. I'm there. I'm there, and you're there. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, this is, this is a man who is supposed to have already died on the scourging. Now he's carried his cross And he's getting near the fifth and sixth hour of his suffering on the cross for you and I. And he has the the power and the will to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement, he says, is he looks over to a thief on one side who had been mocking him earlier, but came to his senses, like every single one of us needs to come to our senses this morning, and says, this is a man who is innocent and does not deserve to die. And he looks over at that man on that cross, Jesus, and he says, would you remember me today? And Jesus, in all his agony, and all his pain, turns and somehow musters up the power to say, today you will be with me in paradise. Looking down at the terrified, grief-stricken, John and his mother, of physical birth, he looks to John and says, behold thy mother. And then looks at his mother and says, behold your son. The fourth cry is the worst of all of them. You can read it in Psalms 22 and he says these words and I want you to really focus on this part of the message. He says, Father, God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to try for a second to put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus Christ as he is fully God and fully man. And everything that I'm telling you this morning is for you to stop on this Resurrection Sunday and understand what Jesus did for you and know how much he loves you. I'm trying with my words to tell you, but my words will fall short. But if I can just help you think for a second of the suffering Jesus went through, And all this he's done, church, and it gets worse. Now he's feeling the pain, not physical, because I want to mention this. Many people were crucified physically on a cross, including the two thieves next to him. But not many people had been scourged and crucified on a cross. But the physical pain's not the worst. The worst part of his crucifixion is where the Bible says that he took the sins of the world on his body. And I want you to think for a second of something you've done. Don't think too long. Don't go there. Don't stay there. But just for a second, think of something you have done that had made you feel so guilty. The guilt, the pain, the feeling of something you've done that's wrong. Now multiply that by 16 billion people that have lived, 8 billion on this earth now. And from what I studied, about 8 billion before this time we're living in now. That Jesus took the sins of 16 billion people, that's not counting those that are coming, on his body. Y'all following me? That's not enough, though. Because now, as he has done all that, as being fully God and fully man, in a second, now God, the Bible says, turns his head. And the Spirit of God, the Father, who has been with him all the way, now is no longer there. Can you imagine humanly, can you put yourself there humanly to think, I have done all this for humanity because he was fully God and fully man. Do you understand that? He was fully God but fully physically man. And he stops for a moment and he thinks to himself, I, have ju- I am just about to die. I am just about to expire. The Bible says he felt all of our pain. He felt all of our suffering. He felt everything we've ever known, everything we've ever gone through. And now physically, in his mental mind of a human being, he thinks, God has left me and the, ch- the plan has changed. If the plan has changed, there will be no resurrection. There'll be no risen Savior because God is gone. And he in his physical body doesn't know, even though he's fully God, that God's going to come back. Father, why have you forsaken me? Powerful words. Through all the limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, asphyxiation, searing pain from his tissues, lacerated back as he moves up and down on the rough timber, trying to get breaths, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest slowly fills with serum and begins to compress his heart it's now almost over and the loss of fluids have reached a critical level the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy thick sluggish blood into the tissue the tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small small gulps of air and then he says the fifth thing i thirst Showing his physical humanity. But he does not take anything to drink. As he feels the, chi- chi- the chill of death, and I want you to be reminded that we don't know scripturally when the Spirit of God comes back. Or if the Spirit of God comes back. He has felt that forsaking, and he's still dying with this realization that he's on that cross in darkness. And he says the sixth thing. It is finished. Finally, he can allow his body to die, because I want to remind you this morning, they did not crucify Jesus. They did not kill Jesus. They did not take Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. He gave it. His torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes one last deep breath and says his seventh statement, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he dies. And then the Bible tells us for the ending that it was Sabbath and they had to get those bodies off the cross and so they would come along and they would break the legs of of those thieves so they could no longer push themselves up to take a breath. And by the time they got to Jesus... He had already died because the Bible said no bones would be broken. We're not just believing some Easter fairy tale today. We're not talking about Bugs Bunny and chocolate. We're talking about a real story from a real God who prophesied everything he was going to do for you and me to have eternal life and have an answer to the sin problem of this world. And they stick that spear through his side and the Bible says blood and water flows. Now, all that said, there's a saying in, 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 in our world that says a picture is a thousand words. I want to show a short video that will be a million words in a picture of a man that I, is a great preacher who's gone on to be with the Lord, who, who's, who does another sermon that I've showed many times over the years called, That's My King. I love that video. I could show it every week. That's my king. But in this message, he says these words. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I'm here thankful it's Sunday today. Amen? Let's watch this video. How many are thankful it's Sunday? I want you to look at that title and I want to bring this down home for a moment. Did Jesus fold his napkin for you? Father, I pray for your word for just a couple minutes on this Sunday Sunday morning, resurrection Sunday, that you'd speak personally to every person here and let every bit of doubt be gone, every bit of fear be gone. Bring healing to these people, Lord. As, Lord, we're not promised tomorrow, we're not promised next week, we're not promised another Easter. Speak to us this morning, Lord, from your powerful word and give us revelation of who you are that we can be saved and changed this morning in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Let's pick up in John chapter 20. I want to read an account, and as we get there, I want you to realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all told the story of how the crucifixion happened, how the resurrection happened, what happened at the tomb. And it's not by accident or contradiction that these things happen, but every single person represents a life that personally had to believe in Jesus. i many understand this morning that those disciples were not forced to believe in Jesus. We know that Judas left the story early. As he turned Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver and then went and hung himself on a tree, he denied Jesus early, but now it's touching the disciples. It's their turn now to what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this resurrection? As they walked with them for three years, we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week. And by the way, for those religious folks out here, why do you have church on Sunday? Because Sunday's the first day of the week. Whether whether you knew that or not, it's not Monday. That's how Sunday is the first day of the week. That's why we come to church on Sunday. And it says, while it was still dark, and they saw that stone, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple. By the way, the other disciple is John. He's writing in third person, whom Jesus loved. He just threw that in there, by the way. How many how many believe Jesus loves you more than he loves anybody else? I do. I think Jesus loves me. How many, how many are kids and have brothers and sisters, and you're the favorite child? Anybody, any other favorite children in here? I got my parents right here. Well, let me lie. Mama, your favorite child? Just let them see it. My sister, Becky can't see Becky can't see your head. Amen. And so he says, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have laid him. Isn't it interesting that even Mary and the disciples, after walking with him for three years, got to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday and weren't expecting a resurrection? And it says, Peter went, therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb, and they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter. That's why we believe in good, healthy competition. Amen. Pastor Pastor Mario forgot to mention, because he was... He's doing other things. That we're gonna have a shootout at the park today. I told my wife I'm gonna look for a place to to add this in there. So there's some competition. John says he outran Peter. Well, I say I can outshoot anybody in the basketball court. And so David Tyru, my buddy, is gonna head it up, and me and Pastor Mario are gonna play a two on two against anybody who wants to challenge us. But it's in a game of horse, no running, just shooting. As you get older, you get smarter. Amen. So come out and see that and join us out there in the park. So they ran together, and the other one outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stoops down and looks in. They would say that those doors, as you saw in the video, would only be about three feet high to get into a tomb. They were very large inside. And it says that stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. This is very important. Yet he did not go in. So John was afraid to go in, and Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Now I want to don't go to that next verse yet. I want to say something important here. I want you to understand how personal Jesus is. I want you to understand that he's fulfilling the Old Testament. And and they would they would know these these disciples would know the scriptures because they were Jewish men and they were told from a young age that they had to memorize the first 5 books of the Bible. Totally memorized, word for word. That puts us to shame today, doesn't it? That some don't even know any verses by, by memory. We need to learn the Bible, amen? But they knew the Bible, and when he saw those linen clothes there, he had a flashback to Leviticus. And he remembered that Jesus was coming to become the high priest and he was coming to become the the precious lamb who would shed his blood for them. And he remembered back in Leviticus that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to sacrifice the goat of the lamb for the sins of the people, that he would go in with linen clothes and when he came out, he would take the linen clothes off and lay them down on the ground and that meant he was finished. So Peter has a flashback. And he sees these linen clothes, and he sees no body. There's no body there. And then watch this next verse. It says, and the handkerchief. In the King James Version, it says napkin. That's why my title says napkin. doesn't matter which one it is. But it says, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, watch this, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place By itself. You might have noticed that in the first video that I showed you at the end. There was that cloth placed right there. I love to find things like this because it makes the gospel personal. Jesus did not just dissipate or disappear from the tomb, he got up and he walked out. And he took those linen clothes off, just like the priest would in the Old Testament, and he left them there saying, It's finished. And then he took the thing around his head and he went over and he said, I want to make this personal to Blake. I want Blake to know that it's finished. And I want Blake to know that I'm setting this over here apart from the other one. So that he knows that I didn't just get taken or that I wasn't robbed from this grave. But I stood up and I folded this up and I put it there right where it's supposed to go so that that person can know. So Peter can know when he comes in and the other disciples can come in. They can see that I laid this there for them. Now, the powerful thing about this is in Jewish custom, there's a couple of things that happened. One I already told you about. It means it was finished, which we know he finished on the cross. Another thing is, is that in Jewish custom, if a master was going to eat, he had a servant. And as the master was eating, that servant would watch, and he wanted to make sure he had drink in his drink, and his food plate was full, and his, everything was nice on the table. And, and as he would watch his master eat, when his master was finished eating, he would get up, and he would take that napkin, and he would wipe his face and clean his face, and he would drop it down like this, and he'd be done eating. If he dropped it down like that, the the servant would say, okay, my master's done, and I can come clean up his table. And he would come in and clean up the table. But if the master got up from the table, and he grabbed his napkin, and he folded it real nice, and he sat it on the table and left, that servant knew that his master was coming back. Y'all getting that? The first service got a little bit faster. But you're getting it, right? How many believe Jesus is coming back? That's how he left it, right there. He yeah, said, I'm, I'm coming back. It's finished. I've, I've paid the price, but I'm coming back. And that's what he left with Peter and James and John. And Peter had that revelation. But watch, I want to show you something. Let's keep reading. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and he believed. Okay, so he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. It's interesting because he says he believes, but then they went home. If I saw Jesus resurrected from the grave, wouldn't you go to the park, to the gas station, to the restaurant, and start telling everybody, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Amen? That's what he should have done, but they went home. And that's what we need to do. We need to tell people, Jesus is alive. Just like we do with those Jesus cards or tracks. But I want you to understand that this belief thing is personal. So I asked, do you believe that Jesus folded the napkin for you? Because in Luke 24, we're going to see the humanity of the disciples. Here's Luke's account, verse 11. Same thing happens, and it says, they hear that Jesus resurrected, but they said, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. Or another t- translation says, like nonsense. And they did not believe them. These are the disciples. They heard it and they thought, man, that's fool. That, that's crazy. That's foolish. Jesus walked with them for three years and told them, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna sacrifice for you. I'm gonna come back from the dead. And then they hear the story, and instead of rejoicing, they say that sounds like idle tales. This is this is this is humanity right here. This is you and me. Do we believe? Do you believe? Jesus wants to make it personal. He wants you to understand how much that he, you mean to him. And that's why he took that, that, that handkerchief or that napkin and he folded it up. And so the question is today, do you believe that? How many of you believe that today? Peter knew the job was done. He said it was finished. And then we see in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked this question, and I'm asking you this morning do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus folded the napkin for you? Everyone individually. You can't answer for your spouse. You can't answer for your neighbor. You can't answer for your parents. You have to answer for yourself. I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. I believe personally that Jesus folded that napkin up. And when he folded it up in the grave and he put it down, I don't know where you were or what he was thinking about, but he was thinking about me. 2,000 years ago, he said, this is for you, Blake. In 19... 92, you're going to have a revelation of who I am. And then you're going to preach the gospel for me. See, we don't understand that because we don't understand what omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent is. But God was all that. And so he could at that moment, church, just as he died for 16 billion people, he could also at that moment take the time to fold up the napkin for every single one of you and every single one of me. The question is, he did it. But the question is, do we believe it? And the answer is, only you know, because only you can answer that for yourself. Can I get an amen? Amen. Did Jesus fold his handkerchief for you? As the musicians are coming, I want to finish this chapter in John 20 at verse 25, and I want to I want to show you how merciful God is, how graceful God is. How many are thankful for God's grace? Grace and mercy means, grace means we don't get what we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. But we get salvation. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So grace and mercy. Jesus did all that on that cross for you and me. And it says here, the other disciples therefore said to him, and now they're seen doubting Thomas, the Bible calls him. I don't want to be doubting Thomas. I don't know about you, but I want to go down in history as believing Blake. Amen? I don't know about you. I don't want to be doubting Thomas. I want to be known for someone who has faith. And so doubting Thomas comes in, and they tell him, we've seen the Lord. We have seen him. Now he's resurrected, and he's actually appearing. We've seen him. And he says, Thomas says, unless I see his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Church, get an understanding, although we will never stop trying, there are lots of people who are not going to believe. Do you understand that? There may be some here, you're just not going to believe. It doesn't matter how many miracles you see, doesn't matter how many lives you see change, you're just not going to believe. And I pray in the name of Jesus, no one's here this morning like that. But the truth is, people aren't going to believe. He says, I won't be-. He's, the story could have ended right there. Thomas said, I will not believe. But God is so gracious. Watch what Jesus does. He could have just wrote him off. But he does make him wait eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now watch this. Movies ain't got nothing on on the Bible. They're inside, and Thomas is with them, and Jesus comes, and the doors are shut, and he walks through the wall. He didn't go through the door. He just shows up. All of a sudden, he's just right there, and he says, peace to you. Jesus will step up, show out, show up, right when you need him. And then we have the chance, the choice, the decision, the free will. Just to accept him or reject him. People that are going to spend eternity in hell are not necessarily worse people than people who are going to spend eternity in heaven. It's not about the good and the bad. Because if it's good and bad, we're all going to hell. We all deserve death, the Bible says. The people who are going to be in hell are the people who are going to reject when Jesus shows up and says, peace to you, and says, I don't believe. But he shows up for Thomas, and watch this. He says, Thomas, reach your finger right here. Feel that? Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Feel that? He says, Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Today, I'm just a messenger. For you here and those watching online, to this small amount of people, I'm just a messenger to say the same words to you. From Jesus to you, believe. Don't be unbelieving. Young man, I saw you say that just now. I believe. You're a smart man. I know you do. I see it in your face. You're a smart child, kid, teenager, however old you are. Amen? I wish I could see inside of all of yours, not a mental belief, but a heart belief. Do you believe that Jesus folded the napkin for you? I do. And he says, "Do we finish that? Thomas answers and says, my Lord and my God. He has the revelation. All of a sudden, the scales are lifted. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. You believe because you've touched my nails and my, hand and my scars, but blessed are those who have not seen me and believe. How many are here this morning that have not seen him, but you believe? Amen? That's good. Father, this morning, anoint your word. Anoint these hearts and these minds and these spirits, because, God, the truth is, this could be our last Easter together. We're we're not promised tomorrow. Today you have gathered us in this place, not by accident, but by divine appointment. And you've walked into this room just like you walked into that room with those disciples and you're saying, here's my peace. Here's my salvation. I folded the napkin for you. All you got to do is believe and receive. He that believes in me, though he were dead, he shall live. This body, church, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're blessed and highly favored, we'll get into 90 years of life. And once you breathe your last breath, eternity begins. Jesus did not just come to give us life abundantly on this earth. He came to give us access to eternity with him. God is God and eternity is going to exist whether we believe in him or not. But he chooses God. Some some people say, man, God is so mean and God is so this and God is so that. God did not have to share eternity with us. God did not have to share heaven with us. He could have just kept it to himself. How about looking at it that way? And he even says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, You'll be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I know without a doubt this morning, God has touched some hearts in this place. I believe in this place. There's some people that might have came in with some doubt in their hearts. But today, faith is filling you right now. And you are saying inside of your spirit to Jesus Christ like I am right now. I, I, I'm not concerned about whether you believe or not. I'm telling you, I believe. That Jesus Christ folded the napkin for me. And I'm going to spend eternity in heaven because of that. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I'm good. Not because I deserve it. But because Jesus loved me so much that he died on that cross for my sins. And then he didn't stay in the grave. He came out triumphant and victorious. And today he is risen. That grave is empty. And church, I want you to listen. For you you religious person that that comes and checks the box off, that has a traditional ideology of God, God does not want that. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want Easter Sunday to be the day that you think about him. He wants you to think about him every day because he thinks about you every day. He knows the hairs on your head. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. When you were still in your mother's womb, he knew you. He formed you, and today he wants to have a relationship with you where he is Lord of your life, and if you will give him lordship of your life, your life will absolutely change forever. I have 30 years of experience I'm talking from. You could not offer me all the money in the world to change what I have in Jesus Christ today because he is my access and my ticket to eternal life. And I believe that with all my heart. And today, there's a place being prepared for me. And there can be a place being prepared for you if you'll just put your faith in Jesus. How many all across this place, from front to back and side to side, watching online, listening on a phone, listening on the podcast, the Holy Spirit has your attention right now, and he has placed in your heart a knock on the door. And he is saying, let me in. I want to change your life. I want you to know how much I love you. Accept me. Receive me. Believe in me. Don't be doubting. Be believing. And today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he'll change you forever. No person in the history of the world has ever gone to the other side of eternity and come back but Jesus. Well, Lazarus, yes, but Lazarus came through the power of Jesus. No person in the history of the world but Jesus has ever gone to death, gone to the grave, and defeated death, hell, and the grave, and came back. And the Bible says, he who believes in me that I did that shall live Forever. How many this morning want to say, Pastor, I've never believed that before today, but today I believe and I want to go to heaven. I want to accept that folded handkerchief or napkin from Jesus. Just lift up your hand. Just put it up and put it right back down. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. How many more? I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. This is why we're here this morning. We're not here just to say we came, we're here because we want you to know. That the folded napkin was for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. Let's stand to our feet this morning. And as you stand, stay in this spirit of reverence. Jesus is here right now. As he walked into that room, there's the question, do you believe that? I believe that. Jesus is here. Wherever two or more gathered in his name, he's in the midst. We don't see him physically like they did. But church, think about this. They saw him and didn't believe. We don't have to see him. We know he's here. He's walking the aisles right now. He's he's hugging you at your difficult moment right now. We as a church, and especially one of our families in our church, is going through a very difficult week, very, very horrible, difficult week of losing a child. Jesus is standing right next to that person right now, holding them. Whatever you're going through, he's right here. Will you accept him or reject him? Maybe you're here and, and, and you're just going to leave out of this place and it's just going to be another Easter Sunday. Well, what if this is the last one? What if you don't get another Easter Sunday? What if Jesus is telling you today, it's today or, or never. It's how it was with me. I knew the day I got saved, that was my day. And I know without a doubt that if I were not to change that day, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel today. And I wouldn't just be doing something else. I'd be in hell. I know that without a doubt. And I believe there might be some people here that it's your last chance. Are you trying to scare me, Pastor? No, I'm trying to tell you the truth. Tomorrow's not promised. Your next heartbeat's not promised. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable day of the Lord. Many hands went up, and as you raised your hands, and as we're standing right now, I want to ask you to do something else. If you meant it, and you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ, Jesus wasn't ashamed of you on that cross. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you when he was getting flogged. If you're not ashamed to believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you raised your hand, find that nearest aisle quickly right now, and just come down here. Just step out and come. Just find the, Just push someone aside, say, excuse me, make your way. Come on. Don't wait for somebody else. Just come. Quickly. Hands went up all over the place. Don't, don't be like, let me see if someone else is going to go. Why don't you come for yourself? Come on, buddy. Come for yourself. Come on. Many more hands went up. I'm waiting. Come on. Tell that person, excuse me, i got to get up there. How many more? How many more? Come on. Come on, church. This is heaven or hell. This is eternity. How many more? Would you just pray? Father, right now we're praying that you touch any hearts, God, right now, religious people, people who theologically have it all together but don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. The people who would theologically talk about the Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday or this or that or this or that or bunnies and stupid stuff, Lord, get it out of their head and let them understand that you're a God of relationship. That you want our hearts, Lord, touch those people right now. You know who they are. If there's anyone else in this place today that's not saved, touch them now, please. And devil, loose your hands. Saints, pray with me. Devil, loose your hands off these hearts right now. Stop lying to them. Stop deceiving them. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but something's telling you right now, I got to get up to the front of that church because God's dealing with me. I've got to make my life right with God. Somebody here is is being lied to by the devil that you've made too many mistakes, that you've messed up too much and you're too far gone, and there's not any hope for you. You've, you've, You've tried too many times. That's a lie of the devil. The doors are open right now. The mercy seat is open. Jesus is open arms saying, come. I folded the napkin for you this morning. If you're here still and you're not saved, just step out and come quickly. Just find that nearest aisle. I'm going to wait five more seconds. Just find that nearest aisle. And come down and say, Jesus, I believe you folded the napkin for me. I want to be saved today. I want to be born again today. All across this place, let's say this prayer with these people. I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your grace. I accept it. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ came down from heaven lived a sinless life, sacrificially went to the cross, gave His life for me, and then died on that cross for all of my sins and then defeated death and hell and the grave when He resurrected. And because of that, I am saved. I accept that and believe that and receive that today from this day forward. I'm going to live for Jesus. Please write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.